Welcome into the JP and Hack Show, part of the Field of 12 Media Network. This is season one, episode 14. This is the Rivalry Week edition presented by our partners over at Bet River Sportsbook. I'm Joshua Perry, joined, of course, by my guy Christian Hackenberg. We've got some things to dig into from a week ago, and we've got some good games to look ahead to. But how are you doing, my guy? I'm doing fantastic. I'm, I think I'm, I'm more excited for you and your guys this week than I am my guys. I mean, you know, it is Michigan State. It is what it is. But I'm excited about this game. I think the Ohio State-Michigan game is going to live up to, to all the expectations this year. Yeah, I think it's going to be a pretty good one. We got some news to get into about your guys. So uh, let's get into our little recapper uh, from Week 12. Penn State 28, Rutgers 0, Minnesota 35, Indiana 14, Iowa 33 over Illinois 23, Wisconsin 35, Nebraska 28, uh, Michigan 59, Maryland 18. That was an explosive performance out of Michigan. Ohio State 56, Michigan State 7. Uh, getting into the CFP rankings, we have OSU at 2, Michigan at 5, Michigan State is at 12. We've got Wisconsin at 14, Iowa at 16. Anything stand out to you? No, um, I did. Uh, you said Ohio State's at two now, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. Um, uh, we had this conversation last week uh, on the After Dark show about Alabama and how I feel that they are a very gettable football team mm-hmm. with what Ohio State did offensively. And that's something you and I talked about uh, last week. Um I re- again, I, I just continue hitting this point because I think it's a major point of emphasis is that they're one of the few teams in the country that can go, I think, play matchup ball with Georgia and be successful. So I do like that. I think they, they've earned that, and, and I'm happy that the, the committee gave them that. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And their performance was emphatic. We'll get into kind of how that all went down, but I think it was a statement that people were looking for out of Ohio State to see if they were really the team um, that was going to live up to the billing they had at the beginning of the year. I thought there would be a chance that the committee would jump Michigan over Cincinnati uh, just based off of what their performances have looked like since the Michigan State game. And um, I think the committee did the right thing by putting Cincinnati in that four slot. They're an undefeated team. Their win was pretty impressive a week ago. And obviously with this Ohio state Michigan game being a top five matchup, there is time for all those things to sort themselves out. So this will be a really interesting week that we got coming up. Without a doubt. All right. uh, Let's get into some of the games from last week. We'll start off with this Wisconsin Nebraska game. So I said, Wisconsin 35, Nebraska 28. And this is the story for Nebraska all year long is they go toe to toe with good football teams and they can't finish the deal. And I I thought it was a really impressive game out of Nebraska. They had 452 total yards in the game. And this is a Wisconsin team that is built off of defense. They're built off of getting stops They're built off of havoc plays, which they did have a couple of interceptions. Um, You know, it's the thing that Martinez (laughs) is going to do, Uh, but they, Nebraska still had a chance to go down and score at the end of the game. And that last drive was wild because they put themselves in a first and 10 situation from the 12 and they got a penalty that put them in a first and 20. And you obviously don't want to do that. It makes it 20 times harder to go in and score at the end of the game, but there was an egregious no call on a pass interference that went against Nebraska and Scott Frost's reaction, I think embodied everything that Nebraska fans were feeling at that exact moment and sitting there watching it in studio. We all felt the same way. And we've talked about officiating before. And I think that the big 10 officials this year have had a rough go uh, to put it nicely, but that was for all of the things that Nebraska did wrong, that call right there just had to be so painful because there was still a chance. And this time it was something that was out of their control that did it to them. That's what's crazy, man. You know, I think being a team in their position, really just scratching and clawing for that turn the corner type win. And just that little bit of daylight at the end of the tunnel kind of breaking through pretty much played a, I mean, with, like you said, with the exception of a few turnovers, played a a fairly clean game. And when 
it gets taken from you like that, that's, that's hard. And I think they've never been in, they've never put themselves in situations to be able to point the finger at that. And for that being the first time that that's happened this year, um, it's really frustrating. And, uh, you know, we, I think you bring up a great point about how we've talked about it. Like as much cameras and as many angles as there are on the field, you know, you just really, you really wish that, that, that could be a, eliminated from the game at this point in time with the technology and the advancement, how much, how much of an emphasis. And really, I mean, when you think about how many livelihoods are at stake, I know Scott just had his, had all this stuff, you know, restructured and whatnot, but had that not been done, you know what I mean? Like, who knows, you know what I'm saying? You could have been taking food off a man's table um, wearing, wearing stripes, you know? So that's, um, that's tough. Uh, you know, I, I just, again, I'm excited for this Nebraska team moving forward. I think that they're laying a good foundation and sometimes laying foundations doesn't always correlate to success, right? Um, having to take your lumps and building calluses within your locker room, I think is very important. And you and I have talked about this as well. I think Nebraska is just a few guys away at some key positions and with the transfer portal and things like that, it's very gettable. It can happen like that. Um, so I want, I, I just hope that they continue to finish strong this year, you know, and it's not about wins and losses anymore. It's just about what that team looks like when you roll them out the field and uh, really build into a strong off season. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, you know, I just, I hope they, I hope they can get that right. Yeah. It's um, it's, it's extremely interesting to me. Uh, that you you mentioned the transfer portal because when you look at their high school recruiting rankings right now they're dead last in the big 10 I think they've got like the 75th ranked class nationally they've got nine commits so I, I think that the portal might be their uh, their best course at this point to try to bolster their roster but I actually spent some time in Nebraska yesterday uh, with the guys and it, it was interesting talking to them because they don't they don't care what the record says they go out there and they try to play as hard as they can every single game and see if they can find that way to win and I think that's really important because a lot of teams would be checked out and this mm -hmm. is a game against Wisconsin that could have been a blowout easily if the Nebraska players decided that they didn't want to show up and it wasn't and, and they they've been that way all year the game against Ohio State they showed up game against Michigan State they showed up against Oklahoma they showed up yeah. And that's, that is what this team is. And so for me, I think what needs to happen for them is that next step in the off season in hyper accountability where, you know, everything is looked at, everything is criticized. So if a guy's late to class, there has to be a punishment tied to that, probably a player driven player led punishment. If a guy isn't finishing reps, isn't finishing workouts hard. There has to be something that goes along with that. If guys aren't watching X amount of tape per week in the off season, there has to be some level of accountability because I think that's the biggest thing missing right now is there are the self-inflicted wounds that I think can disappear when the accountability is there constantly. And it's not to say that they don't hold themselves accountable right now, but it is to say that that could probably tick up a level. Yeah, it's, it's the structure, right? So they have the effort, right? They have the attitude, they have the effort in terms of what they're doing, but they don't necessarily have the discipline to do it day in, day out, rep in, rep out, play in, play out, right? And that's what separates really, really good teams from average teams, mm -hmm. is teams that hold each other accountable, like you were saying. And it's not always all about effort. It's, it's about having some smarts and having some backbone and having a little bit, having a very, very strong foundation in terms of expectations of each other outside of effort. Effort should be a given. That shouldn't, that shouldn't be something that you talk about right. at that level. You know what I mean? So I think that's, that's a great point that you made. And I think that's where they are at. And all those things that you said are, are massive, massive building blocks that only get accomplished when the cameras aren't on when no one's watching, you know what I mean? So yeah. um, from an effort standpoint, though, they've shown the characteristics to be able to make that transition and do that. 
but now we just got to see it. Right. And I think Scott plays a big role in that too, in sure. terms of, in terms of how, how he runs things this off season, how he approaches spring ball and winter workouts. Um, those are going to be huge, huge moments for the team. And they need to take advantage of every opportunity that they're together to build that continuity, to build that expectation with one another. Totally agree with you there. We'll move on to the next game. We had Michigan with the big blowout win over Maryland, 59 to 18. And I would say that this had to be Michigan's most explosive performance of the season. There were over 500 yards in the game. Um, they had some players emerge. Donovan Edwards had himself a really good game. And when you look at the breakdown, they had three rushing touchdowns, three passing touchdowns. They scored on defense. They scored on special teams. Uh, and it feels like this is a Michigan team that is truly playing their best football at the end of the year, which is exactly what they would have hoped for when they kicked off in game one. Yeah, and it's 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 very uncharacteristic based upon what Michigan's done in in the past you know, I'd probably say seven, eight, nine years, right? They've they've usually started hot and, and stumbled their way to the finish line. You know, now they're I think they're building uh, similarly to how Ohio State has built, traditionally speaking. Um, get the kinks out early and then really find yourselves and start hitting the rhythm. So that's why that was my main reasoning for my for my comments early on in this thing was that I, I'm really excited about this game because I think it's two extremely confident football teams. Um, we talked about Michigan treating this Maryland game as a, uh, a kind of a, a gauge for where they are. They passed that test with flying colors to me. So now, you know, you have, you have two of the hottest teams in college football ready to, ready to go and probably one of the most storied rivalry games in college football. So it's, it's, it, I think it's just going to be really good for the sport. And um, I'm happy for Harbaugh. I'm happy for, for the grind that he's put in the the you know the chin checks he's gotten over the past few years um to really still reach that reach that peak and hopefully be able to be able to hit the slope on the other side you know full head of steam so I'm excited for him yeah and it's it's really interesting because the personality of this team is very businesslike but you can also see that um it's not oppressive if that makes sense like they're they yeah. understand the assignment they put the effort into it they handle football from a very mature standpoint, but it also looks like a team that's having fun. And I think right. in recent years, his teams haven't necessarily looked like they've had a ton of fun. I wanted to ask you this because uh, I'm sitting with a quarterback and I need the perspective, but I think mm -hmm. one of the big developments this year has been uh, Cade McNamara's play. And yep. in five out of the last six football games for Michigan, they have thrown for more yards than they've rushed for. And at the beginning of the year, I don't think we would have said that would happen because they had one game where they ran for 350 yards and threw for like 40. Um, and, and so the question is, what have you seen from Cade McNamara week to week that's led to his ability to lead an offense that is very balanced? Well, yeah. So so one of, one of my biggest things about people in terms of how they identify quarterback play now, everyone's looking for that flash. They're looking for mm -hmm. those guys that can throw the 20, 25 yard deep outs on a line, hit the guy on the chin from the opposite hash, like all those wow factors, right? But at the end of the day, and everyone learns this at different points in their career, and I learned this at the NF at, at the professional level, and it's ultimately what really hindered my career in terms of my development at that point in time was that it's not, it, playing quarterback is about being able to move the football throw the ball on time with great anticipation and great accuracy, see the picture, know where the ball is going and get it there. Um, Cade has always kind of had that. And I think Harbaugh with his West coast roots, mm -hmm. the system meshes really well with his game. He's a guy who can make some big time throws, but you're not always going to necessarily ask him and put him in the positions that maybe you would put a guy like, you know, CJ Stroud in or, or, you know, pro comparisons like a Matt Stafford or an Aaron Rodgers. Sure. Like those guys are going to go out and make probably seven football plays a game that they did all by themselves. And there's a handful of guys on the planet that can do it. Right. There's a handful of guys in college football that do that. Cade's not one of those guys, but he's one of those guys who's going to make the right decision 95% of the time. Yep. And he's never going to put you in a bad situation. Right. And that's like, everyone looks at it like, Oh, he's a game manager. No, 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 no. He's a great quarterback. He's a leader yep. of men and he's a guy who understands his role and he executes it at a high level. Um, 
And I think, I think for him, it's one thing we talked about, like they didn't early in the year, they didn't really put him in those situations. Right. They, they treated him more as a young guy, like um, didn't want to have to make him make those decisions real time. Right. I'm sure they did it in practice and I'm sure Sure. they, they tried to manufacture that, but they never did it with the lights on because they really never had to. Now they've had a few games where he's had to do that. You know, you've had to see him, put in third and nines and be forced to figure out what to do with the football. Can I try this? Can I not try this? And he's executed it flawlessly. And that's ultimately what you need at that position. Um, and I'm, I think the entire team plays for him. Um, I think that again, he just, he plays the game with a level of anticipation, accuracy and, and understanding of the offense that um, needs to be admired more. And unfortunately, it's not ever going to be. But the guys who who understand the position and who've been there and done that um, really, really, I think, will show a great appreciation for what Cade's done, especially these last these last handful of games. Yeah, I mean, they've really brought him along and it's been a process, but you're 100 percent right in the fact that they did what they needed to do early on to win games while protecting their quarterback. And then when it was time to unleash them, they absolutely did for our more yep. casual listeners uh when you say west coast offense what type of concepts are you talking about yeah i mean most most of the old school west coast is like that full pure progression off timing footwork um a lot of crossing routes zone beaters triangle reads um stretching zone defenses with sometimes some man beaters or something that pre-snap you know if you you have it you like to match up you can take it type stuff but it's a lot of like one two three four buzz through your read, trust it. You're putting people in spots based on how the, how the, how the defense reacts. Right. Um, it's just, it's something that's been around forever. I mean, it's the old like West coast case. It came from the 49ers with yep. um, Montana and those guys. And that's, it's what it is. It's just a very, very foundational piece of football in the past 50, 60 years. And um, that's Harbaugh's tree. And like I said, if you have a guy who's accurate and, and understands defenses, he can really hurt you in it. Yeah. And that's exactly what you see flip on the tape. They love the crossers. They put the tight ends in there as well. And they do a great job integrating them into the route progression. You see some of the delay routes and it's really good, uh, for, you know, when the, the first, second, third read is gone, the defense is kind of sinking and they're getting lost in zones. They can dump it off. Uh, it's just, it's been a, a really nice build for this team. And and we'll kind of get into um, the difference between this Michigan team and this Ohio state team in the second segment. But uh, it's, this is, it's been impressive because I had personally really low expectations for what Michigan football was going to be this year. And they've obviously exceeded those expectations. Um, We'll recap this one, Ohio state 59, Michigan state seven, uh, excuse me, 56, Michigan state seven. Um, This was a thorough, dismantling it was a drubbing of drubbings it was um it was over as as soon as the coin was flipped and it was impressive to watch cj stroud again uh, this is two weeks in a row go out there in the first half and just light up the scoreboard it was six touchdowns from him over 400 yards passing in the first half of the game he threw for twice as many touchdowns as he did in completions um is there a way to limit and stifle this offense the way that they're playing right now? It's similar to how people talk about, like, how do you attack Georgia's defense? Well, like, I don't – you can't. There's not, there's not a lot of weak points within this Ohio State team. Um, they've shown the ability to run the football. Um, and when you have as deep of a receiver room as they do – unless you have the guys defensively to be able to say, Hey, we're going to match up with them and hope we can move CJ off his spot and force him to make some, make some poor decisions. Um, you're not going to be able to, to hold these guys. Um, Olave is incredible. Uh, Jackson's awesome. Garrett Wilson's one of my favorite players in college football. I think he's just a really dynamic guy. His game's going to translate really well to the NFL level. Um, and then even you start going four, five, six, seven down there. Right. All those guys can play. So it's it's just it puts you in between a rock and a hard place defensively because you can't bracket some guys. If you do, then you're leaving guys susceptible for the run game, right? So it's just like 
what you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't with these guys. And that's a really powerful position to be in offensively. And Ohio state has taken full advantage of that. It's just, like I said, one of those things where, you know, you just hope you have the personnel to be able to disrupt some timing and then make CJ move off his spot and slip up. Right. And if, if you can't do that, then this offense is just going to keep going and you're going to have to have something on the other side to be able to, to keep up in this track meet right. or, you know, you're, 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 it's over. You know what I mean? I mean, you're, you're running, you're running against the same bolt, like you're, it's over, man. So yeah. um, I, uh, I've just been really impressed with how day has figured out ways to get all of these guys touches. That's such a hard thing to do. Um, but he always figures out a way how to do it. He distributes it. Um, and, and when you have a lot of guys making a lot of plays, it's just, it's, it's a defense. You just, you, you have to go with what you can do and hope you can rally and tackle and, and, and force something to go your way, get them off schedule or something. Yeah. It's interesting. You talked about getting CJ off his spot. And I think the most recent team that did that well was Nebraska and they forced him into a couple of interceptions and it was just um, chaotic for him in the pocket. And I think the offensive line, um, that was kind of in that that two game span where they, you know, kind of lost their way yeah. a little bit. They got back on track for sure. And it was interesting watching the football game back um, as I watched the coaches copy because Mel Tucker is a great defensive mind. Mel Tucker was absolutely flustered in that game because he came out and his game plan was to heat him up. He was doing some of those six man blitzes that he likes to run. And then yep. he was playing a lot of uh, single high coverages, mostly three deep, but it was some single high. They got burned. And then he went to cover two and they were still kind of getting burned. And also Ohio State was like, OK, well, if you're only going to do a seven man box, we're going to run the freaking ball. It was wild, too. It was like a, um, a second and 19. They played cover two and Ohio State ran it for like 22. And so Mel's like, well, we got to get out of that. They went back to doing some of their original stuff. He just they didn't have answers. And it's not because the the defenses don't work, because those are all defenses that are traditional. People run cover three, people run cover two. Like, it's basic football. It's the fact that the personnel is not up to par. And that's the thing that really stands out. My final comment about the offense before I I talk about Ohio State's defense real quick. The C.J. Stroud throw to Chris Olave, where it was like over the shoulder right there on the sideline, just in front of the end zone. That was his most impressive play of the day because Michigan State was running a blitz. There was a linebacker that had a one-on-one with the running back. The running back lunges at him and misses. And CJ's got to stand there with a freaking linebacker who's wearing a neck roll. So you know he doesn't give a damn about his body or the guy he's But he stands in there and delivers a ball that only his receiver can catch. And I think that is the maturity of CJ Stroud Uh, at the beginning of the year. I'm not exactly sure he would have stood in there. I'm not exactly sure he would have delivered a catchable ball. And you see now all these weeks later, those are types of plays that he can make. And that's been the difference in his play from start to where we are right now. The confidence, man. And and the kid has played his way into a Heisman contender. Um, He's, he's done it all year. I've just watching him, but he's now got those games under his belt against prolific competition where he's on the right side of it as opposed to the Oregon game, even though, I mean, he kids still threw for 450 yards against Oregon. Right. He's now on the right side of it. And he's, he's, he's just, he's playing really, he's just playing really, really good football right now. Um, and that's, that's what Ohio state does though. I mean, they, they develop those guys, they put them in situations to be successful. They facilitate, they have guys out there that can catch it, catch and run. And, um, you know, he's, he's just playing more confidently. And when you have a young guy like that, that's the biggest thing. It's just get, get some momentum, get some confidence rolling behind them and then just let them play. Um, and that's what, I think that's what Day's done. I agree with that. Um, I'll touch on the Ohio state defense real quick because I've been a very salty critical bastard when it comes to that unit. Sorry they guys. Held, it just, they held know. our boy. What they, <laughs> they hold, what they hold our guy to like, what was it like under 50? He ran for like, 40-some yards, right? He ran for 25 Not even. yards. 25 yards. Yeah. 25 um, yards, and, man. and like I said, I, I have been on that group. Just, you know, my my makeup, I like to see really good Ohio State defenses. Um, I'm a linebacker. I'm still a linebacker at heart. Um, this was the stat, right? You talked about Walker, and I think it's twofold. 
is he's a little bit banged up. So they were managing his carries, but also, you know, when you get out to a, a 21 point lead in the first quarter, offense has kind of got to adjust. This was the, the stat that really blew my mind is they held Peyton Thorne to 39% completion. Let me say that again. He yep. only completed 39% of his passes. And it was because the D line was creating chaos, whether it was batted balls, whether it was pressure. And frankly, this is the best coverage I've seen from the Ohio state back seven since 2019. And so the idea is if they can continue to play defense at this level, which has been an inconsistency for them, this is the edge because the way that they're scoring and backing that with really good defense, it becomes a different game. hundred percent, man. That's, that's the complete team. You know, um, that's the advantage Georgia has. And it's kind of been the flip-flop, right? Georgia's always had that stout defense. And now that offense is catching up to par for them. And really like, that's the bar this year in college football. If you're any guy chasing, chasing, you know, college, college football playoff dreams, national championship dreams, like Georgia has been the bar because how consistent they've played, but you start to see this Ohio state team. And that's why I love the ranking of it. Like when you just turn on the tape, ignore the stats, ignore all the other BS, all the static, when you turn on the tape, these two football teams are two of the best – they're the two best football teams in college football right now. With yeah. the way they're playing, both sides of the football, third phase and special teams, yeah. the two the two best teams in college football. And I think um, a, lot of, a lot of credit needs to go to Ohio State in terms of how quickly they've developed with a young quarterback, a younger defense trying to find their way, and they've done it. And, um, you know, they just got – they got another big one here to finish. So we'll see what happens. We will see what happens. Uh, let me tell you about our sponsors over at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. If you haven't signed up yet, Bet Rivers is offering a $250 match bonus for your first deposit. But what sets them apart from everyone else is that they require just one playthrough to turn that bonus into cash money. With their new Rush Pay instant approval, withdrawals are not only fast, they are safe, secure, and reliable. Go to betrivers.com today or download the Bet Rivers iOS app. Must be 21 years or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And now a quick message from our sponsors over at BetterHelp. Is there something that is preventing you from achieving your goals or interfering with your happiness? If there is, let me tell you about BetterHelp, professional help done securely online. Check out betterhelp.com slash jphat. BetterHelp will assess your individual needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist to allow you to connect in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient you can start communicating in less than 48 hours. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's an avenue to accessing professional therapy without having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp has licensed professionals who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, as well as relationship and grief counseling. You can message your counselor at any time and get timely, thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. Find the particular expertise you need online. Don't limit yourself to counselors located near you and do it in a manner that is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. Financial aid is available. So many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com jphack. Join over the 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash jp hack today let's transition into segment two big thoughts we'll start it off in happy valley your boy james this franklin is, uh 10 years this is the theme with big thoughts you start in happy valley like every week i know because there's always something coming out of happy valley <laughs> um 10-year contract yep. seven million guaranteed a year uh, it seems like the the real meat of this contract, though, I think the sticking point for James Franklin was some of the facilities upgrades and also the um, the assistant pool, the ability to pay quality assistance so you can retain them. And we've seen the turnover on offense these last handful of seasons. Uh, I just want to get your quick thoughts on what you think this contract means to Penn State and, and kind of your outlook on it. Yeah, I think when you look at the way it's structured, um, I think it's a really good position for for James. Um, he's going to get the resources he wants. He's going to 
um, have the ability to build off of what he's, what he's done. The one thing that I will say is I think it's also a great contract for Penn state because you're looking at a guy who's 11 and nine in his last 20 games. Um, He's got one of the best recruiting classes in program history coming in. So there's a lot to look forward to, Yeah. but kind of similarly to how Nebraska restructured Scott's contract. I think this extension looks great on the surface, but it is really good for both sides because I think the buyout for the first three or four years of this is pretty manageable, relatively yes. speaking, for Penn State. Yep. Um, so what I think this contract extension does is it says, okay, you've been there, kind of what we talked about. Now you're kind of middle of the pack again. Yep. If you can get back here, you're good. You're going to yep. be smooth sailing and you're locked in till, till 2031. If you can't, I think there's escapes for both sides. Yes. And I just thought it, I thought it was a very, very well thought out, good deal on both ends. I think the program's going to benefit because we're going to get the upgrades we need. We're going to continue to get the recruiting classes that we want. I yep. think Coach Franklin's going to still have – he's going to have the ability to do everything that he wants to do, which is great for him, and I'm, I'm excited for him to be able to do that. And I think also from a Penn State standpoint to protect it, if, if he can't get there where everybody wants to go, there's ways to get out of that. And I think you're going to see that within the next three to four years, if he can ever get there, it's going to happen. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to see it within the next three to four years, especially with the direction that the entire big 10 conference is trending top to bottom. So I I just, I think it was a great contract. Um, When you look at it from the surface, uh, I think it was just, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but I think it, I think it gives everybody just a little bit of motivation on both sides to prove some stuff. And it's, it, it was just right. It was the right porridge, I think. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's interesting because it, it stabilizes salary too for um, yep. a long term, at least for right now. And we've seen what's happening with climbing salary. So that, that does benefit Penn state, but it also gives James that security if everything stays the course. And then you mentioned the recruiting class. And I think that was a part of what went into the timing of this is it's so hard to recruit and retain guys when there are rumors swirling about the future of the coach and for James to be able to walk into a living room and say, listen, I just signed a a long-term deal. I'm here. That stabilizes his ability to recruit the top guys. So I I think it makes a lot of sense as well. Um, And I'll be looking forward now to seeing what this Penn state program looks like in the next two, three, four, five years. That's what it, that's I, ultimately it's what it comes down to. I think, I think it's turn the corner in the next four. If you can do that, we're good. If not, you know, I think you're going to see some shaking of hands and some payouts being, being done and, and, and we'll see what, what everyone else could do, but I think it's, it's go time. All right. Let's uh, switch over to some rivalry week thoughts and memories. There, is there anything that stands out to you about this week in college football? Man. Um, not specifically. I mean, I think that's a better question for you just because of the game. I think Penn State's unique because, yeah, we have a couple trophies out there, but those games I don't think are heralded as much as our Michigan matchups and our Ohio State matchups. You know, Michigan State, it just, you know, it, I just don't think it is. So, like, I'm curious to see about you, though, because this is, I mean, landscape of college football, the game, yeah. like, I want to I want to know about it. I want to know what the preparation's like. Obviously, all the M's get next out all around campus. But, you know, let's let's see. (laughs) In depth going through your mind preparation. What's it like? Well, the whole city turns a a shade of scarlet during this week, which is pretty cool to see. Uh, But the preparation really is a three hundred and sixty five day a year type of situation. When you're at Ohio State, it's the offseason, it's spring camp, it's summer camp, it's during the year that you prepare for the game. But we used to walk in and there would be a video montage of like some of the greatest highlights and hits from the game. And there, there was this LL Cool J song, It's Time for War, that was playing on a constant loop. And I can still hear the fucking song in my head right now. And I wish I couldn't. Um, and they would put the scout team maize and blue jerseys on the floor for us to walk over. Like we get used to walking over Michigan. Like it was, it was that intense. Um, And then you get to some of the matchups and we played in a a couple of duds. The first one that I played in 2012, uh, Michigan was a ranked opponent. We were like number four, but we, we didn't have a postseason, So that was kind of like our, our championship, our bowl game, if you will. 
Um, we went out there and handled business. Second year, Michigan was not a very good team. And we were ranked number two or three in the country. And uh, that was a one-point game. And I think that one kind of crystallizes what a rivalry is yeah. about because you can never just pick who, who the better team is. They don't always run chalk. Um, year three, Zeke was explosive uh, exactly when we needed him to be. And that was obviously a special year for us in 2014. But we needed him to come through at the end. I think the the play right after JT Barrett broke his ankle, Zeke rips off a 44-yard touchdown run. And so, like, that is – that's what stands yeah. out to me about that one. And then my last one, I think, was the one that I appreciate and covet the most because we had just come off of a loss to Michigan State. That was my senior day. So I was heartbroken that knocked us out of contention for the college football playoff and to possibly repeat as champs. And I was like, I was hot, but I'm like, great. We got Michigan coming up so I can get back. Right. And that was Jim Harbaugh's first season. They were having a good year. And so they were ranked uh, number 10. I believe we were ranked number eight. We went to Ann Arbor and we beat the piss out of them like 42 to 13. And that was just a phenomenal way to, to just get that, that nasty taste from the week before out of our mouth. Um, but it's always been a lot of respect within the rivalry. And I played against some guys who were from the state of Ohio that I knew in recruiting and knew growing up. And it was always interesting to get their perspective on it um, because it's, you know, it's kind of a, a shift of a mindset. Like Jake Butts, a guy who is from central Ohio. And uh, I know he, grew up watching the Buckeyes and he went to Michigan, had a phenomenal career there, but he had to um, detrain himself from his whole upbringing. Kyle Kalis was another guy who was committed to Ohio state and flipped to Michigan. Um, And so I know that game was always extremely emotional, but it's fun to kind of come together with guys from the opposite side, relive some of the memories and uh, you know, just talk about it. And I, it's, it's, it's interesting because there are some people on the outside of the big 10 footprint specifically that want to downplay this game because Michigan hasn't had success in recent years. And what I would say to them is talk to the fans, talk to the former players, talk to the current players, talk to the coaches. And all of them will tell you that this is the only thing that matters. And that's why it's still important is because everybody's so bought into this idea that It all comes down regardless of whatever else is going on to Ohio State, Michigan. And this year, we've got a matchup that has serious implications because whoever wins going to Big Ten championship, probably going to be favored in that game. And then they go to the college football playoff like this is big time football. And this is what the game is supposed to be. Yeah, it's played out so nice. And it's funny you say that, too. Like, I just feel like Ohio State's so dominant that people forget like how, how much this game means when you sit there and you look at it, you know, everyone, everyone focused on the red river rivalry. And then you have like the USC Notre Dame, but even that one's kind of, kind of gone down the wayside a little bit too. But yeah. like, to me, the greatest rivalry in college sports is army Navy. Um, I just kind of got a soft spot for that. My uncle played at West point, my cousin played at West point. So I just, I think it's just an awesome spectacle. When you look at the big picture of it, it's, it's pretty cool that, that that is what it is. But I think right there, you know, like you can't, you can't, if you're a college football fan, you can't overlook the fact that Ohio State, Michigan, Texas, Oklahoma, you know, like, and then you really like after that, it's just kind of like whatever. But I think it's right up there in that conversation of, of biggest rivalries, storied rivalries, traditional rivalries, just the, just the history both programs have. You know, I think it I think it definitely needs a little bit more respect. And I think this is the game. It's couldn't come at a better time yep. with all the implications that you said for it. It's just it's gonna be so massive for for the for the landscape of, of what the rest of the season's gonna look like. So I think that's I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I, I'm just I'm really excited about it. I I just this is what you want it to be, and we've we've got both of these teams exactly where where it makes this game extremely important outside of everything else around yeah did y'all have a bunch of lettermen come back and speak to you guys like prior to these games when you were there was that like a big thing or was it just one of those things that was like expected yeah it was just you know urban wasn't big on bringing people back um we when earl bruce was around we used to have him come and talk and and and, i mean we'd be crying by the end of his speech, it was absolutely phenomenal to just hear him and his perspective and 
you know, as a, a short old man, how much it meant to him. Um, yeah. But outside of that, like, it, it wasn't a lot that anybody was going to say that was going to really, you know, change our mind or, or give us that boost. Right. Like, you know, everybody's talking about it. Everybody sees it. More people are around campus and it's Thanksgiving weekend, obviously, but like guys just know, you just know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. All right. I want to get into this last thing on our big thoughts is I, uh, on the big 10 network said that I thought that Michigan was the most complete team in the big 10 conference. And then I reiterated that on Twitter and I, I, need to stop, but I, I got into it with some of the Twitter idiots because one guy was like, well, you're not a Buckeye anymore. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, well, you think Michigan's a better team essentially. And I said, I don't know if you don't understand the definition of the word complete, but complete does not necessarily mean better. Um, it means that they have an offense that I think is good. They have a defense that I think is good. And they have a special teams unit that has showed that they will go out and block punts and that they can return kicks. Um, whereas Ohio state is a team that has a very, very explosive offense. They have a defense that lives off of havoc, which is very inconsistent and their special teams is good. Um, and so what it boils down to basically is this idea of, would you rather be in college football nowadays, a complete team that has good offense, good defense, good special teams, or would you rather be a team that thrives on explosion where you can score in runs like the Golden State Warriors, maybe your defense is going to play well. Maybe they're going to give up some big plays um, because I think that's exactly what the game is going to come down to is the most complete team in the Big Ten Conference, in my opinion, in Michigan, who also had their most explosive performance of the year versus the most explosive team in, in maybe the nation yeah. in Ohio State, but also had their most complete performance of the year against Michigan State. Yeah. I think you bring up a great point. And I think if you're going to be that team, that's going to be complete, you need to be above and beyond in all three phases, right. Mm -hmm. In some way, shape or form, if that makes sense. Um, I think Ohio state is built offensively in a bracket of their own, but I think something that you bring up about defensively is that they've shown vulnerability. They've, they've, everyone's going to have some games and some guys are going to come out and play, you know, right. at, at a higher level, but they haven't Michigan from a defensive standpoint, hasn't put themselves in bad situations right? really ever. Um, and when they've needed them the most, they've stepped up. Right. I think offensively for Ohio state, that's kind of been the thing, because I think honestly, even this Michigan state game, if, if Ohio state didn't come out and play out of their mind offensively to start to your point, you know, they, the defense didn't eliminate Kenneth Walker. The offense eliminated Kenneth Walker from that game. You know what I mean? And right. to be able to have, have an offense that can do that and make a team one dimensional helps your defense tremendously. I don't think Michigan has to do that. They, or at least they haven't shown the need to do that all year against anybody. They've just played really complete football games, complimentary football, and they've fed off of one another. They've never really had to go out and start stretching offensively. They've never had to do the same defensively. Right. So I think you make a very great point about complete. It, they are a very complete team. Are they complete to the level of, again, which I think the bar is in college football this year, Georgia? No. Right. right. No. Right. But they are complete. And to me, you still need, if you're not that complete defensively, I mean, uh, like I said, I mean, we've talked about it on the After Dark show. Like, that defense is insane. When mm -hmm. you start looking at the numbers and you start breaking them down, just the way that they've played week in, week out, if you're not that complete defensively, then you need to have some explosion offensively to be able sure. to keep up with everybody else, right? So I think the way college football is trending, you, you need to be sexy, you need to be sleek, you need to have that you need to have that big gun and then be able to let it <laughs> dump that clip really fast. <laughs> but but – um there is something to be said about a very complete team that can yeah. play really good complimentary football. And if you're coached properly, if you manage the game properly, if everything is, is going your right way, that's always tough to beat because that's, that's, that's the foundation of the football of football, right? It's the greatest team sport ever. And if you can play that, that's awesome. So it's, it's kind of a clash of two worlds this weekend, which is going to be cool. Um, but I agree with you. I think they are, they are one of the most complete teams in college football, if not the most complete team. And I think, 
for you to bring this back up. It's good. It's great for everybody out there listening because I don't think people think that way. I think people are, are now so much brought up in like, again, all the flash and all the glitz and the glamor. But when right. you look at football at its core, purists should be really excited about this Michigan team. Yeah. And, and that's kind of the deal there is you would in 2021, you would rather be the more explosive team because you can just outscore people. And we yeah. understand the role of offenses in football today. However, I think being a complete team puts you in a position to where if you need one unit to rise when the other mm-hmm. unit's lacking, you can do that because you have the ability to do both. And so it, it's, again, not to say that complete is better because in this case, you can look at um, recruiting rankings and you can look at you know scoring offense and all these different things that ultimately dictate games. And you can say, Ohio State's a better team Right. But at the same time, you can also say that Michigan will present challenges because when you're a complete team, you have to play them pretty even. Yeah. Yeah. And and the thing is, is like there's never a drastic dip one way or the other with Michigan. Yeah. Their, their, their dips are very skewed in a tight manner as opposed to when you watch some other teams, you know, the offense is playing out of their mind, but their defense can't stop a lick. Yeah, you know, that was Alabama watch Oklahoma last week. Yeah, yeah, it was Alabama last week. Watch Oklahoma pretty much. You know, Oklahoma's gone like this all year. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, you know, <laughs> peaks and valleys, right? Um, but Michigan stays very centered with everything. Um, and it keeps them in football games. I mean, even yeah. the Penn State game, when yeah. you watch it, like that was a tough-fought game, and it was just Michigan stayed here and Penn State was here, yeah. right? And that's that's a great – it's a great – point and that's a great teachable lesson for people watching the game like if you can keep it steady eddie and keep the bow in the right direction through the storm you're going to be all right uh, more times than not for sure um we'll get into this last segment we've got our previews of week 13 we'll start it off with uh, iowa at nebraska nebraska or excuse me iowa is favored by a point and a half in this bad boy this is the black friday game uh, what are you seeing out of this one? Yeah, I, I think kind of what we talked about with this Nebraska team, they're going to come out and play. Um, <clears throat> I feel like Iowa's gotten so much more unpredictable as the years gone on. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you, you, don't, you don't even know what you're going to get. And I kind of like this one, honestly. Um, if I was going to be a betting man, I'm not saying that I am, but if I was going to be, I, I, I do like this one. I think – I think if Nebraska can continue to do what they've been doing offensively, these types of games, they show up. I think it could be interesting. Yeah, and the, the one challenge for Nebraska is Martinez is out, but I don't think that's necessarily um, a huge deal because what I think Nebraska can do is they can get the ball out of the backup Smothers' hands pretty quickly to guys like Austin Allen, who's a six-foot-nine uh, six tight end, and they've got – uh, Travis Vokalek, who's a big tight end as well. They've got this guy, Samari Toure, who has done a really good job of getting behind coverage and getting explosive plays. So they've got some playmakers that I think they can distribute to. And especially playing against a, a static defense like Iowa's, you can really scheme them up. Um, and you made the, the point, and I totally agree. Like Iowa was steady Eddie early on in the year, and now it's just so unpredictable. And I, I think that their offense has some real issues. Like they're not as good up front is I wanted to believe they were early on and yeah. they, you know, they made a change at quarterback as the starter uh, Petrus was banged up and, and Padilla is fine, but you know, he's not a game changing quarterback. So in, in Nebraska is uh, they're a good defense. So I, I really like they're what very this game good. could be. Yeah, they're very good. They get some short fields, you know, watch out. Yeah. I think, I think they're going to find out creative ways to run the football. I think they'll be all right. Yeah. Um, next game we're going to do is Maryland favored by two and a half at Rutgers. This is a, uh, a big one because the bowl game is on the line here for either team. And Maryland was dismantled by Michigan. But there were a lot of moments in that game where if you're Mike Loxley, I don't know how you can can maintain your composure because your team consistently does things that will kill you. They got in scoring position 
in just penalty after penalty. And then they had a guy wide ass open in the end zone and Leah just kind of rushed the ball to him and it was a bad overthrow. Um, and it's, it's those types of things, but you're facing a Rutgers team that was also dismantled by Penn state. And I, I didn't talk about that one, but for Penn state, that win was really impressive to me because of a team that has fallen short of expectations going out there, very business-like playing a backup quarterback, handling business. He played and, well too. He did. He, he was very yeah. good. Um, yeah. and, and Penn state defensively, it's one of my favorite defenses to watch. They go out and Rutgers is not a very good offense. So take it with a grain of salt. They limited Rutgers to 165 yards of total offense. That is extremely impressive. And you want to talk about special teams too. I mean, I think Jordan Stout doesn't get talked about enough, but man, that kid, that kid puts offenses in in some tight situations backed up consistently. He does a great job. And uh, Penn State's really benefited from that in the past two years with Gillikin and now Jordan coming in. Both of those guys have done such a great job kicking the football, and that's something that gets overlooked so many times. But it's a, it's if you have it, it's a phenomenal weapon. And I think when you look at the at the box score of that game, I mean, Rutgers' starting field position just sucked. And when you don't have a great yeah. offense, it's very very hard to climb out of that hole. Um, so I agree with you. I think I think defensively they did a great job keeping them back there, and uh, offensively took advantage of some opportunities where they got the ball in 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 some really really good favorable field position. Yeah, Rutgers' uh, average starting field position last week was their own eighteen. Um, so yeah. you know that that crystallizes it right there. It, yeah, um, they barely had any possessions in Penn State territory, but in this game, I think what it comes down to is the fact that. Um, Maryland is still more explosive offensively, even with all the injuries that they've had this year. And I think that they can push the ball downfield. It'll just be a matter of blocking Rutgers front because, you know, Greg Shiano is going to be moving those guys around. He's going to tell them to get vertical, um, to get Leah off the spot. So that'll be the thing to watch there. Yeah, I think Rutgers defensively has a chance to keep them in the game. And it's just I think the biggest question mark is going to be whether or not the Rutgers offense can can manufacture something, can yeah. can can do anything. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I think, um, again, just a game that I'd stay away from if I was a better personally. <laughs> but but I think when you if you if you're watching college football, though, like you said, I think there's some implications from a bowl standpoint that are huge. And then also. um just the way the game shakes out. I mean, it's really going to be Rutgers defense versus Michigan's offense. And then can Rutgers figure something out offensively? Yeah, no, this will be, this will be a, a probably an ugly game. Uh, just like this next one that we got coming up Northwestern at Illinois, Illinois is favored by six and a half points. And the story for Northwestern this year has been uh, bad on offense, bad on defense, which is not a very good combination, but the story for Illinois has been inconsistent on offense and inconsistent on defense where we've seen them have uh, it's mostly been bad offense, but still inconsistent defense has had its moments, but uh, we've seen performances where they've looked really good and they've beaten a couple of, of good football teams. And we've also seen some performances where, um, you know, you're, you're scratching your head at, at what's going on. Um, I would stay the hell away from this one for sure. Uh, I, I mm, mm. this is one of those games that um, this is one of those games that people would look at nationally and say this is why Big Ten football is not on the level of whatever they want to compare it to. I'm gonna just leave it there. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Usually, when you have so much inconsistency and then you have a really bad football team, I try to tend to lean towards you know, who has the advantage from a coaching standpoint, but I don't even think you can do that in this game because I do have a ton of respect for Pat, but when yeah. you have bad teams, you know, you could put them in as many good situations as you want, but at the end of the day, it comes down to the guys executing. And if you can't do that consistently, that's tough. And I do like what Bielan was doing up there. And I think that he, you know, from a coaching standpoint, it's a pretty much head to head, even matchup as well. So if, if Illinois can come out and, and, play to the their capabilities i think illinois should win this football game but yeah again i agree with you it's just one of those games where it's hard 
to want to get behind something that's been so inconsistent. And then you're definitely not betting on the team that's just been terrible on both sides of the football. So yeah. it's just, it's, it's, yeah, it's stay away from it, steer clear and, and just figure it out. Steer clear. We've got Indiana at Purdue. Uh, Purdue is favored by 15 in this one. Purdue has achieved seven wins for the first time since 2007. They can go for eight. They're both eligible. It's been a very good year for them. They've done some awesome things, knocked off a couple of really good teams, flip it over to Indiana. And I think this was probably the worst outcome that we could have fathomed that Indiana football would have this year. This is a team that I thought could finish third in the Big Ten East. They have not won a conference game. Um, it, it, it has been just a nightmare of a season for that program. Yeah, um, I'm riding with Purdue. I love Aiden O'Connell. Kid's probably the hottest quarterback, one of the hottest quarterbacks in the country, just under the radar. Um, you ain't lying. Uh, I, uh, like I said, got a lot of respect for him. So I'm riding with Purdue. And yeah, I agree with you. Everything you said about Indiana, it's just, it's, 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 uh, it's time to get ready for, uh, for some winter workouts and yeah, buddy. Figuring, out, <laughs> figuring out what we're going to do with spring ball. Um, you know, yeah. start, start watching some self scout and get the, get, get, get the breakdowns going already. Boy. Um, and to your point on O'Connell, he threw for 423 yards a week ago with three touchdowns, 74% completion. So, I mean, this is just what he's been doing as of late. Um, on the Indiana side of it, you talked about getting ready for winter workouts. And the thing that really sucks for Indiana is the fact that when you don't make a bowl game, you don't have those extra practices. And so they can't yep. do some of the developmental football things that other teams get to do. And they really need it because yep. they, they had a lot of young guys step in this year because of injuries and, and they got valuable game reps, but you really want to be able to slow the game down and teach it to them in a practice setting. And they won't have that opportunity. Yeah. And I think that's where you got to start looking into your locker room though, too. You know, those guys get some time, they get away from home, they get away, they get off campus and get a little bit of an elongated break, but you know, you hope that those guys find a way to get together um, and take it upon themselves, yeah. which you still have the ability to do. So, so we'll see, we'll see what that DNA of that team is. We definitely will see. We've got Penn state favored by two at Michigan state. This one is really hard for me uh, because I think that Penn state is definitely good enough to beat Michigan mm -hmm. state. I think that they have a defense that can present a lot of challenges. I think that uh, the way that they played offensively last week, and, and they went in there and, and ran the ball a little bit too, which I think put Rutgers off kilter and, and he doesn't have to do that a ton, but I think if he can do that a little bit, it'll do the same for this Michigan state team. Uh, but when you flip it over to the Michigan state side, I think if everybody is, and when I say everybody like Jaden Reed, I think he went out in the game with an injury and Kenneth Walker didn't go back into the game. So if they have their full complement of offensive weapons, um, you know, I, I think that they've got a shot to do it. That defense to me, though, is, is a problem. Like, I don't know what they're going to do against Parker Washington and Jahan Dotson. And I mean, those are two guys, Jahan, obviously, but Parker doesn't get enough pub for how good he's been as a second threat in that yeah. offense. And I think that becomes a challenge for Michigan State. I agree. Um, the one thing I will say is if Kenneth can get back on track, because that is one area where Penn State has shown some vulnerability defensively is, is against the run, even going all the way back to Wisconsin to start the year. We talked Illinois, about that. It's, it's just their defensive line. And with PJ out, it, that was, that was always going to be tough once he was out, but yeah. you know, it's a, it's a, it's a more athletic defensive line. They're built to be able to compete with teams on edges and those guys can run and hit, but they don't hold up at the point of attack very well. Correct. And if you, if you, if, if, if Michigan state can develop a, to, a stout run game that they can then open up the rest of their offense off play action and push the ball down the field. Like they have shown the ability to do in some games. Um, I think it's going to be, can Ohio, can Penn state keep up offensively? Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a very fair question, especially with the young guy, you know, they were ahead, they had great field position. It was a great game against Rutgers for him to get his feet wet, but now there's going to be a little bit of back and forth and he's going to be put in those situations similarly to what we talked about Cade being put in at a completely different level. But, you know, the, the thing being that, that 
the premise being the same is we're going to find out if they you can execute an offense as opposed to make the play when it's there. And then even if you don't make the play, it's not going to matter. There's going to be some third downs. There's going to be some, some shots that he's going to be able to take in early downs where the importance of him being able to execute and hit that is going to go up exponentially in this game as opposed to last week. So I think it's going to be a great learning moment for him to see how, how well he can mature. Um, and then also, like I said, on the flip side for Michigan State, it could be a good get-back game. Definitely agree with you there. Uh, Wisconsin favored by seven at Minnesota. This one is unique to me because I think Wisconsin's defense will definitely bounce back, and Minnesota's not an offense that presents uh, a ton of, of challenges and threats down the field. Um, this Minnesota defense, though, I think is going to have answers for Braylon Allen. And so the question to me becomes, if Minnesota can stop the run, what does Wisconsin look like throwing the football? Um, but I still like Wisconsin in this game. I think that they are the better team. I think that they're going to make it to the Big Ten uh, championship game. But I think that there could be a couple of pitfalls for them if they can't get that run game started early. That's what they are, man. They're they're very run game dependent. Even looking back last week, you know, Graham was what like twelve for eighteen for a buck fifty and a touchdown. I think. Um, yeah, it's not necessarily a ton of explosion from a pass game. So, um, really look to see if Wisconsin can get that run game established. If they can, I think they're going to be able to do everything they want to do offensively. Um, but if they can't. You know, I think they're going to be in a little bit of a dogfight because uh, Minnesota was off last week, correct? At a bye. No, they were. Uh, they no, played. They, play? uh, they played Indiana. They 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 beat the piss out of them, thirty-five to fourteen. Okay. All right, so great. They basically had so, a bye. Yeah, so they had a bye. Um, Sorry, Austin. Yeah, you know, <laughs> our producer Austin is a uh, big Indiana guy. So yeah, yeah, tough, tough. It's basketball season at least. <laughs> Uh, all right. And then we'll preview this last one. It is the game of the week. I think nationally, obviously the game of the week in the big 10, uh, big noon Fox is going to be on the broadcast. And I literally cannot wait to hear Gus Johnson call this one. I mean, it's, it is going to be exciting, but it's Ohio state visiting Michigan. Ohio state is favored by nine and a half. I think the line opened up somewhere around six and it's been steadily creeping up. And I think a lot of that is recency bias on Ohio State's last two performances. Um, and, you know, when you when you get into these games, I think you can kind of throw records out and you can throw performances out. And a lot of it comes down to uh, will and a lot of it comes down to emotion. Uh, but the Big Ten East is on the line in this game. And that is important. And what that probably means is a college football playoff spot is on the line as well. We previewed a couple of the matchups. So I'll just ask you simply, what is the biggest thing that either team would need to do to have success? For me, I think it's like I talked about, Michigan kind of stays here. I think Ohio State's defense needs to do something to force Michigan's offense into an uncomfortable situation. So keep them off schedule. They've, they've, I, I think I, I've, Gaddis was our wide receiver coach at Penn State when I was there, and I think I have a pretty good idea of how he wants to do things. And he's very regimented in terms of staying on schedule. And when he's on schedule, I think he he feels very confident calling the game the way he wants to. But if you get them behind the sticks, if you get them in some situations, especially early on in the game, like you said, with all that emotion and all that momentum and all the everything going into it um, – give yourself a chance for Cade to slip up early. Uh, I think that that's going to be, I think that's going to be big for the momentum of the whole game. Um, so that uh, for Ohio state, that's kind of what I look at. And then, you know, defensively for Michigan, I think that's similar. You want to see them get, get, get to CJ, hopefully force him out of some, get him uncomfortable early, get him thinking about it, get his eyes, get his eyes from downfield to right in front of him a couple of times. Yeah. Um, if you can do that, I think you've got a chance, but if you can't, if you can't slow CJ down in terms of his processing and get him thinking about other things other than execution, it's going to be hard to stop that offense. So yeah. I think defenses is going to be the thing to watch on both sides. It's a really good point. And that's actually one of my talking points for the Saturday morning show 
with CJ Stroud is um, I think the, the trenches for Michigan on defense is a, a big deal with Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo, because those are two all American level first round talents and they have been able to change games with their play. And so for CJ Stroud, you have to manage the pocket, but also Michigan is a team that runs some NFL style coverages. They run hybrid coverages. They change it up. They do some unique things that not a lot of uh, programs in college do because they don't necessarily trust their players to understand defense to that level. And so the the coverage is going to be more complicated. And one of the best things he's done recently, I think, is see the field and read coverages and be confident with where the ball is supposed to go. Pre-snap picture that you like to talk about, he's been able to take it and then he's been able to deliver the football. So that's going to be big. If Michigan can create chaos in the pocket and then they can confuse him with some coverages in the back end, make him hitch, hold the ball, that's going to be something big. But I think for the other side of it is – If you're Ohio State's defense, you talked about keeping Michigan off schedule. I'm not exactly sure that they even need to do that. I would say if they can limit explosive plays, because one of the things that's been their Achilles heel is they'll they'll give up, you know, almost 200 yards passing on four plays. You can't do that in this game. And if you can limit Michigan's ability to be explosive then you give your offense a shot because whether Ohio State's offense is playing well or whether they're not playing that well, there's going to be a drive or two where they go down the field in a minute and 30 seconds and score a touchdown. And so if you're Ohio State's defense, you have to, you have to understand the fact that you can bend, but you don't give up the big one. Yeah, bend, don't break. Yeah. I agree with that. I think force Michigan to string drives together. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and part of that is getting them off schedule. But the other part of that is literally like keep the ball in front of you, play another yep. down, um, force them to to kick field goals in the red zone, which is something I know has been a point of emphasis for Michigan because they haven't been great in the red zone. Um, and that'll be a game plan there. But I'm super excited about that. One. I haven't been this excited for an Ohio State Michigan matchup in, in some years. So this will be great. But this was the JP and Hack Show, part of the Field of 12 Media Network, Season 1, Episode 14, presented by our partners over at Betmarie Sportsbook. Again, Joshua Perry with my guy Christian Hackenberg, and we will be back next week. Stay tuned.